This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Have you been thinking about LASIK but not sure if you're a candidate? Just go to LASIK.com slash quiz and take our free candidacy quiz. In just a few minutes, you'll know if LASIK is likely right for you. And if it is, we'll connect you with experienced LASIK doctors in your area. Start your journey towards 2020 vision. Take our free candidacy quiz at LASIK.com slash quiz. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your your perfect home sweet home. Oh, hello there. Welcome. This is Let's Talk About Myths, baby, and I'm your host, Liv, here with the final after-show episode for Q-Code's Cupid. There's a reason Greek myth and its gods are so ripe for adaptation, why they can feature into stories in such varied and unique ways, like in this Cupid series, and today I'm here to talk about it. Along with, of course, some fun mythological bits found in the final episode of Cupid. And not to worry, there's one more episode coming. I spoke with the creator, Katie Kavanaugh-Jupe, about adapting Greek myth for a podcast like this, and Greek myth in general. That episode will be coming soon. As always with these episodes, if you're a listener of mine, make sure you check out Cupid. It's super fun, and who doesn't want more Greek myth in their lives? I mean, you're here, aren't you? Clearly you love it like I do. And if you're a listener of Cupid, welcome. Once again, I hope you hang around. There is so, so much more mythology for you to learn, and I promise all of it is just as fun, if sometimes also a little dark. This is the bonus Cupid After Show. Gorgon's glare! Greek myth is fun and fascinating.
best way to start this final Cupid after show is to look at Greek mythology as a whole and the tradition from which it developed. It is the perfect way to understand these stories broadly, but it's also super interesting and it just isn't something people usually have access to when they're just the average person consuming Greek myth adaptations and retellings. Because we live in the world we do with movies and TV and podcasts and books, we have a very specific understanding of storytelling, of narrative structure, plot, the whole thing. We think of stories as having answers to all the questions, to define characters, to use tropes, to have one version of something and to stick to it, canon, everything you get from stories that you regularly take in, whatever medium they might be. But in ancient Greece, that simply wasn't a thing. These stories weren't developed in that frame of mind because they were developed like something like 3,000 years ago, depending what you're talking about. Greek mythology was developed to answer questions, but not the ones we think of today. It was created to answer questions about the world, humanity, existence, nature, everything. And of course, it was also a form of religion. These gods were actually worshipped. They were sacrificed to, not human sacrifices, don't go thinking human, but definitely lots of animals. They were respected and revered, and they were the reason everything existed as it did, and the stories about them reflect that. Of course, they were also, these gods were also deeply human, and thus deeply flawed, and that's often what makes them so interesting. Most importantly, though, is how these stories were developed and how they were shared, transmitted around the ancient world. It wasn't until much, much later that the stories that we have now were actually written down. And there were countless, absolutely countless other stories that might have been written down but didn't survive for us today. And even more that were never written down to begin with and that we will never know. And that's because these stories come from an oral tradition. People telling stories to others. Primarily a tradition of poets who would sing these stories, set to music, in typically dactylic hexameter, that is a specific poetic meter. They would travel the Greek world and beyond telling these stories. The stories would be changed and adapted based on the region or just choices made by the individual poet, things that needed changing. They would be told in different variations by many poets in many different places over hundreds of years. Works like the Iliad and the Odyssey and so many more stories that we both have today and that are lost. And when it comes to those two epics, some hundreds of years after they were originally told, they were written down. That means we have one version that had already gone through hundreds of years of changes. What it also means is that there aren't always full stories covering certain events or even gods, because maybe that just didn't feature into what was needed at the time or their stories are lost. Some gods have very little content associated with them. Some have full and lengthy stories. Some concepts we have that are deeply famous now 
for example, say the relationship between Hades and Persephone, a big romantic trope today. They have just one story dedicated to them, and it says one specific thing that, frankly, is basically the opposite of most people's understanding of them as a couple. It's the story I told last week. It is fascinating the way these stories developed, what actually exists from the ancient world versus the ideas that we have about them now. I could talk about this forever, and I do mention it an awful lot on the podcast when it comes up, because it varies by story, by source, by character. And that's not even touching upon the famous playwrights. The story of Oedipus, for example, the man who famously killed his father and married his mother, who Freud based some pretty nonsensical ideas on. We don't actually have an ancient Greek myth of that story. Though we know it was a myth, nothing survives. What we have is a play by a man named Sophocles, and he was writing it to be a play, to be entertainment for an audience, to be performed with costumes and masks and a set. That means he likely changed many things about the myth that he knew to fit the narrative that he wanted to tell. But we don't know what he might have changed and probably never will. What it also means is the stories don't have the same tropes we're used to. They rarely have distinct villains, for example. There are bad characters who do bad things, certainly. But a villain, as we think of it, or, for example, as Hades appears in Cupid... That isn't really something that exists in the mythology. No god is ever really a villain, as we'd think of them, but that doesn't mean they didn't fight now and then, or that they didn't have uh, full-blown divine wars. All I could think of when listening to the last two episodes of Cupid is the very real war between gods that exists in the mythology. There might not be traditional villains as we think of them, and Hades, even though he tends to be the villain in most adaptations of Greek myth today, wasn't ever at odds with his brothers or the other Olympians in any surviving story from ancient Greece, but there absolutely were clashes amongst the gods. The most important one of these is the Titanomachy, the war with the Titans. The Titans were a race of divinities that existed before the Olympians, according to the one surviving story that we have on this subject, the Theogony, which is attributed to a man named Hesiod, but also part of the oral tradition that I just talked about. Hesiod probably wasn't ever a real guy. The Theogony tells the story of the origin of things. And yes, I have an episode on it in the playlist. But the most important part for today's episode is that war. See, the Titans were this early race of gods, and everything was mostly fine between them. Except there was this one, this real mess of a guy, Kronos, probably the closest we have to a traditional villain. He, well, he wanted to have control of everything. And in order to achieve this, he actually... Well, he castrated his father, Uranus, a primordial sky god, and then he swallowed all his children to ensure that they didn't take his power. His children were, well, the oldest of the Olympians, Hestia, Hades, Demeter, Hera, and Poseidon. His youngest was Zeus, who, with the help of their mother Rhea, escaped Cronus's belly and eventually defeated him, but not before there was an 
epic war between the Titans that sided with Zeus and the ones that sided with Kronos, with those six Olympians on the side of Zeus because they were eventually freed from Kronos' digestive tract. Once Kronos and the Titans who sided with him were defeated, they were imprisoned inside, you guessed it, Tartarus, that deep, dark pit of punishments that I told you about last week, where the Furies watch over their every move. And that is the closest thing we ever have to a war amongst Olympians or the fight that takes place in Cupid. While they had their issues, and there was one time that Hera worked with a few others to attempt to overthrow Zeus that failed, they otherwise just kind of coexisted. There was drama, yes, oh, so much drama. But they didn't ever fight over power. And while it's become a common trope that Hades wanted Zeus's power, there isn't actually any ancient source that suggests that. Which, to me, is interesting in itself. We're putting our modern ideas of what a story structure should have onto these ancient characters. Ideas that often come from a basis in Christianity, even if unintentionally. That's always where the basis for Hades being bad seems to come from. Because to Christianity, the underworld is like hell, and thus Hades is a devil-type figure who must be bad. But the ancient Greeks just didn't see it that way. He was just another god who happened to rule over the dead. And the reason for this is that, again, they weren't telling stories as we think of them now. They weren't trying to come up with a story that had conflict and resolution of that conflict. These typical narrative structures that we have now that we think make a good story just weren't in place back then. That wasn't the point of these stories. These gods were just there, all around, all the time, doing their thing. And again, this is what makes these adaptations all so interesting. If you examine them closely, you get to see the modern ideas that are coming through. Ideas that often creators and writers don't even know that they're using because it's so ingrained in our culture. It's why I like pointing back to what actually does exist in the surviving Greek sources versus what tends to have become a common idea. None of this is a criticism. It's just fascinating to look at how much a culture can take in over, well, almost 3,000 years or so. And finally, since the final episode of Cupid ends with the reveal that the grandpa telling the story has been Zeus all along, I want to tell you about the idea of Aphrodite as the daughter of Zeus. It is the perfect and most entertaining example of how there are no hard, fast rules in Greek myth. There's no canon, no one idea about how a character was born or who they are or even what they do. Because these stories weren't developed to be the same across the board. They often came from different traditions, different regions, different time periods, and had different purposes. So yeah, there's a version where Aphrodite is the daughter of Zeus and a woman named Dione. That's primarily found in the Iliad. But there's also a version from the Theogony I mentioned earlier, where Aphrodite is not the daughter of Zeus, but the daughter of, well, something much better. Remember when I mentioned how Kronos, when he was taking power, castrated his father, the primordial sky god Uranos? Well, that wasn't the whole story. Kronos castrated him, and he threw Uranos' bloodied body parts into the sea. They traveled a long way. He was a powerful god and thus had a great arm for throwing. The blood dripped as the bits flew, and from the blood that dripped on the earth was born a race of giants and those magnificent furies that we've heard so much about. And well, when the bits landed into the sea, 
a foam erupted from Matt's butt, and from that castration foam was born Aphrodite. And that is one of my absolute favorite facts from Greek mythology, and doesn't it really add to the Cupid plot? Like, what if Cupid's mother was born from castration foam? Really elevates her character, and the bonus of it is, it means that she and Ares are not brother and sister this way. <laughs> not that the gods had any issue with that. Hera is also Zeus's sister, after all. And if that isn't the best way to end a series dedicated to explaining mythological context and characters, I don't know what is. Oh, thank you, lovely listeners. It's been so much fun bringing you all this extra Cupid content, this mythological background, context, these stories of characters featured in the show. I really just enjoy adaptations of Greek myth because there are really just so many ways to handle these stories and characters. So many ways you can extract the characters almost entirely from their ancient sources and kind of just place them into whatever you need. Retellings are fun too, but it's nice to have something a little different, like a full adaptation, very separate from those sources, while still being seeped in little references, little Easter eggs of mythological goodness. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Have you been thinking about LASIK but not sure if you're a candidate? Just go to LASIK.com slash quiz and take our free candidacy quiz. In just a few minutes, you'll know if LASIK is likely right for you. And if it is, we'll connect you with experienced LASIK doctors in your area. Start your journey towards 2020 vision. Take our free candidacy quiz at LASIK.com slash quiz. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. I am always here to tease out those little bits and give them the context they deserve. 
Once again, huge thank you to Qcode for teaming up with me for this after show. It's been a fun departure from my usual content, and I hope you listeners who came over from that show have learned something. And hopefully you want to keep learning more about these myths, characters, stories, because I promise you it's endless. And it's absolutely endlessly fascinating, too. Let's Talk About Myths, Baby is written and produced by me, Liv Albert. Michaela Smith is the Hermes to my Olympians and handles so many podcast-related things. She is invaluable. Stephanie Foley works to transcribe the podcast for YouTube captions and accessibility. The podcast is hosted and monetized by Acast. I am Liv, and I love this shit. (laughs) 